0: The OCM presents Open Line. The opinions expressed on this show are not necessarily those of the station. And now your host... Patty
1: Daly.
2: And goodie good evening. Look at what, look at me. Wishing the day away. Good morning everyone. Linda Swain here, sitting in for Patty Daly who is on vacation. Well, quite the outage happening uh, right across Canada so far as we know or most parts of Canada. Rogers uh, there's a Rogers outage. It's affecting service including internet, phones and ATMs. So if you're going through the drive-through, this morning on your way to work you may need some cash on hand we're hearing that uh, some services are being affected including municipal governments and the city of st john's has put out an advisory as you just heard jerry lynn Mackey say motor vehicle registration anywhere where you Pay, you know, online or, or using an ATM, if you know what I'm saying. So, um, a lot of those services are down today, and we're going to try and get a little update on that as uh, much as we can throughout the course of the day. The newsroom is working on that, but I can tell you from experience um the internet and cable providers are not always forthcoming with a lot of information i guess what they're trying to do right now is trying to get to the bottom of whatever it is that's happening but uh it's it's notoriously difficult to get that information so we will try our very best to keep you up to date on that if you do have a rogers phone chances are You will not be able to use it to get through to lines, but we do have lines open and uh, there are a lot of other service providers out there. So feel free to give us a call. Well, things are ramping up everywhere, but do they feel like they did before the pandemic? I think everything's forever changed, isn't it? Uh, We've been talking a lot about recruitment and retention in the healthcare system, but what is it like everywhere else, in other workplaces. In the United States, they uh, call the COVID phenomenon the big resignation. People took that downtime to really reflect on their lives and what they do. And uh, it resulted in a lot of people just leaving the positions that they were in for ever so long, changing course or retiring, early retirement, if they could afford to do that. And it's, uh, it's a worldwide phenomenon. And I keep hearing stories about the difficulty in filling vacancies to keep businesses going. And other employers who, for one reason or or another, have not brought their staffing levels back up to pre-pandemic levels. And we're currently seeing it, of course, in the airline industry and some of the chaos that's being experienced there. Uh, Supply chain issues continue. So my question to you is, have you encountered problems with service or meeting deadlines or orders because of staffing levels? I've heard stories about people having to wait for a half hour, 45 minutes, an hour before even being before even someone comes to take their order in a restaurant. What's going on? And then once you get the order, you're waiting another half hour or so. I mean, uh, we all are looking forward to being back out there and doing all those things we enjoy, the little sparks that keep our lives interesting. And yet, it seems to be a real struggle, trying to get back to that sense of normalcy, even though we're all sort of trudging forward and trying our best. So if you have any thoughts or observations on that, give us a call if you've encountered any kind of um, problems in uh, getting the kind of service that you used to have prior to the pandemic. Well, a new report is out by the Conference Board of Canada, which shows some interesting but mixed results. Uh, Perhaps not surprisingly, Newfoundland and Labrador are showing the highest cancer mortality rates in the country. We're right behind Nova Scotia in that. But, and this is the the part that uh, I had a little trouble wrapping my mind around, but the mortality to incidence ratio was actually quite good. So something it was something that the conference board had some trouble trying to understand. So Ontario and Alberta had a worse mortality-to-incidence ratio, even though their overall cancer mortality rates were low compared to the rest of the country. So that left the conference board sort of scratching its head. Newfoundland and Labrador and uh, other Atlantic provinces have high incidence rates for certain types of cancer compared to the rest of the country, driven in large part by aging demographics. So. Atlantic Canada, of course, we have some of the oldest demographics, and of course, that that means the cancer rates are higher. So the Conference Board of Canada shows that provinces with a higher median income and a lower proportion of seniors per population actually have poorer survival outcomes, So that's something that requires further investigation, they say, and more robust population level data, although fair to poor self-rated mental health and high life stress are associated with poor survival outcomes. So basically what they're saying is, okay, so the cancer rate is high and the cancer mortality rate is high in the Atlantic provinces like Newfoundland and Labrador. But once you're diagnosed, your outcome is actually better here than it would be if you were in an Ontario So that's what they're trying to say there, and they're trying to figure out why, in some of these so-called richer provinces, the outcomes are poorer and what leads to that. And one of the things they do mention is self-rated mental health and high li- life stress. So if you are living a uh, stressed out <laughs> existence, commuting back and forth and and living in a cubicle at work and then going back to your cubicle uh, in a, some high-rise apartment or something at night and your, your, um, your life um, doesn't feel that fulfilling um, and you get that dreaded, diagnosis this seems to suggest that uh, your outcome is going to be a little bit poorer than somebody who says you know what I'm living a pretty good life I uh, I live in rural Newfoundland we go out to the cabin on the weekends I spend some time outside in nature and there's lots of studies now that show the benefits of being in nature and we're blessed in this province you you there's nowhere you can go in Newfoundland and Labrador where you can't in your view plane see the forest It's really quite extraordinary, or the outdoors, if you know what I'm saying, the the wilderness. Um, So some benefits there, I suppose. Uh, Give us your thoughts, if you have any on that. And I see, talking about rural Newfoundland and some of the difficulties, I suppose, that are faced there, uh, the people of Galtus seriously exploring the concept of resettlement. They've approached government, and now the Department of Municipal Affairs is doing a preliminary cost-benefit analysis to see if it makes economic sense to resettle the community or continue to provide services. So they they weigh this against uh, the cost of paying everybody to resettle against what it would cost to provide services for the next 20 years so that's what they're doing now to decide if that and then it then will go to a final vote i suppose of the people and they've lowered the threshold i think it used to be 90% or 95% it was quite high now they've lowered that threshold to 75% of permanent residents so if 75% of permanent residents of galtis once this process is complete say yes we we want to take the package we want to go then it's a done deal then the services will be cut off to Galtus and Galtus will remain maybe a summer residence kind of place with no services provided, uh, just the ones that people... And, you know, there's some communities, we talk about resettlement, there's some communities that are actually continuing to thrive <laughs> despite the fact that they've chosen to resettle. I mean, uh, you might not be able to uh, work or uh, go to school in some of these communities, but people keep going back. In the summer months especially to spend time in the place that they love there's some kind of connection that we have here in Newfoundland and Labrador to the place from which we belong and that's what we talk about a lot don't we do we talk about belonging somewhere I belong to this place where do you belong to um, so it's it's an interesting uh, concept and I would like to hear from people in Galtis if at all possible it's taken quite a few blows over the years. Of course, I remember that period of time just before the Cod Moratorium, and Galtus was one of those um, communities, once thriving, um, that was hit hard, of course, by the Cod Moratorium, no surprise there, but I remember when the plant closed there, and that was the beginning Galtis, Lepoil, Poil, some of those big plants that were on the south coast there started closing and then you know the death knell uh, afterwards with, that, um, with the cod moratorium being announced. So there's four other communities apparently that are giving this some serious thought including Wild Cove on the Bay Vert Peninsula, Le Poil which I just mentioned, Francois or Francois and Cottrell's Cove. So anybody in those communities that want to give us a call by all means do so. Um, lots more on the go, including this really interesting story. And we're hoping to hear from Cindy Murphy of the uh, John Howard Society on this. But you've been hearing Brian Medora reading this one. A Supreme Court judge has cut an inmate's sentence by six months because of what is being called persistent and long-standing poor conditions at Her Majesty's Penitentiary. Justice Glenn Noel says the harsh conditions faced by 27-year-old Jonathan Slade at Her Majesty's Penitentiary justified a reduction of 180 days from his four-year sentence. Well, first of all, why is he serving four years at HMP? For charges including robbery. Knowles' written decision on Wednesday says Slade has a host of mental and physical conditions that were exacerbated at the 163-year-old provincial jail, especially when pandemic-related rela- uh, restrictions were in place. And this uh, this man uh, suffered tremendously, according to the story. And I'd like to hear what people have to say about that. Uh, we've been talking a lot about replacing HMP. Um, that's a conversation that's been had for decades now, decades, with uh, various areas. Uh, identified and all the rest of it I understand the process has started but uh, I guess it's a long way between now and uh, when a new facility is actually built and able to take in inmates and let's be honest uh, you know there's an awful lot of people in the in the province who would say oh well so what who cares the whole idea behind a, a prison is about punishment but corrections has changed It's not about punishment. It is about uh, sending a message to the criminal element, I suppose, but let's be honest, most of the people who are at HMP are there for a variety of reasons, not the least of which are related to mental health and addictions issues that need to be addressed. So a more modern facility that addresses some of those things in a very real kind of way is something that is much needed. Uh, I'd like to hear what people have to say about that as well. We have um, a few callers on the line, so we'll uh, take a short break. And when we come back, we hope to hear from you. And we're back. Linda Swain um, in for Patty Daly. And uh, it's a bit of a big deal. Uh, There was a major milestone reached in Labrador this week. The Trans-Labrador Highway, um, linking, I suppose, the coast of Labrador to the interior of Labrador West, finally completed, and uh, Minister uh... for labrador affairs lisa dempster was there when it was finally done hi lisa
3: hi good morning linda
2: so pretty exciting uh...
3: it it is absolutely incredible you know to to stand there and watch the final join of eleven hundred kilometers you know starting at the border uh... in the west and working all the way south to the to the quebec border we now have uh, from Red Bay to Labrador City. It's all fully new paved, and in the Labrador streets, uh, we're 11 kilometers to go, and we will have the 40-year-old pavement there uh, done. So it's been, it's a significant, significant accomplishment. I think if you folks have been following the media this week, this was something that uh, Tobin under Liberal government they started back in 1983, building a road through that uh, dense forest in the Labrador West area, and uh, took us a long time to get here it's about a billion dollars and uh, and here we are and it, it is truly an incredible uh, feat
2: uh, jordan brown earlier in this week uh, called it the mega project that nobody really knew was still do still happening Uh, Well, yes, folks. uh, I certainly heard from people that knew it wasn't finished.
3: I will say, even though it started long before my time, uh, of course, I'm very intimately connected with the details since we formed government. Late 15, thinking we were facing a billion-dollar deficit, and that turned out to be two billion. And my the thoughts in my head was, "What about the Trans-Labrador Highway? We've got to keep it going." And so, uh, also a very, very proud moment for me was in uh, after the budget came down in the spring of 16, despite the extremely tough fiscal climate that. We were in and myself, the MP for Labrador, uh, Yvonne Jones, and uh, former Premier Dwight Ball. We flew into um, Marys Harbour on the 27th of June, announced 63 million dollars cost-shared federal-provincial that would see another 160 kilometers, and then year over year, uh, you know, we just kept it going. It was very challenging, but we had to see this through to to fruition. Uh, you know, for the residents, um, for For the supply of goods, we sort of, as once you build a road, then your marine supply, that cost goes away and is invested into the road. Uh, So I was hearing from people who were kind of out of patience with the amount of time it was taking. But uh, from 2016 uh, up until this present day, we made incredible progress once we got going. I think maybe 447 kilometers of that piece was done just in the last uh, five or six years.
2: So what are we talking about here, especially in recent years in completing this? Was the highway already there, but it needed to be paved? Or was this a whole new piece of road that had to be cut through the woods and leveled and all that? There was
3: absolutely nothing. This started this road from, from scratch. And I feel like, Linda the building, and I've been reflecting the last number of days, I feel like the building of the road has been a part of my life, mostly my whole life. Uh, I remember back uh, when um, my dad lives in Goose Bay, from Goose Bay to Lab West, when they finally got that last piece between Church and Goose Bay, our conversations would be what a wonderful ride now. If you had to go out there, if you need supplies, Lab West was a little bigger and they have the, the Walmarts and the Canadian Tires. But then I remember in my own Community in Charlottetown in Southeast Labrador. I grew up uh, completely isolated. My family had a business. Uh, the boats came in the fall, and uh, you know every every shed and storage space was stocked with supplies to provide goods to the to the residents until you know we went through spring fall and the boats came again the next spring. And then in 1999, I believe it was McNamara Construction uh, had the contract and. Uh, I remember the day the Burge came into the community, loaded down with equipment, and and there was, everything was above. They're starting a road, we're going to build a road, and just up at the end of, we had about two kilometres of gravel road in my little hometown, and up near the rec centre on the outskirts, uh, you know, they started. And there were some sceptics that said, oh yeah, they'll take a tractor and pull something through, but... That same day the Burge came in, a helicopter came into my community and sort of word went around government officials are in town. I smile now when I think about that. And uh, my husband went into the helicopter to look for a job in 99. He's still there. Uh, So it has been a long time. Uh, The road, the... While the road is finished from border to border, I also want to say to your listeners, we know the work in Labrador is not done. Uh, We are now looking at a a pre-feasibility. You know, we've committed to that for a road to the north, and it was included in the provincial budget. And there's an assessment piece uh, being done now within the Department of Transportation and Infrastructure. And uh, we're certainly hopeful that an RFP will be issued uh, this summer. We have heard much through the years about a fixed link across the Strait of Belle Isle. Like right now, we've invested in, in two new uh, vessels since I've been here to service Labrador, one linking the mainland. Of Labrador to the island, and then there's one up uh, in the Natsi other area. But in addition to that, my mandate letter from the premier is, instructs me to work with transportation and infrastructure to continue to look at uh, a fixed link. We did do a pre-feasibility uh, on a fixed link, and you know there was a number of options that was presented that we could move forward on there. And uh, and so these these things are going to happen now that that major project that took decades to complete is done uh, now we look uh, we move on to look at uh, you know what are the next uh, transportation steps needed to continue the great work we're doing in labrador
2: so you mentioned some of them then Uh, what is the priority is it that fixed link or is it the road uh, linking uh, the coast of labrador uh, north coast to the rest of the province
3: Well, I don't know if I would prioritize one over the other. We've certainly seen the benefits in southeastern Labrador, even though it was only this week on July 5th that uh, we saw, you know, the asphalt close and finish. Uh, The benefits of having a highway, whether it's health and folks now, you know, up until now would often have to take a plane or a ferry to get to uh, St. Anthony for medical treatment. We now have an option of being uh, able to get to Goose Bay uh, for that uh, even myself travelling back and forth for for um uh legislative duties uh, i now have an option if the weather is down in blansbla i can drive to goose bay and thankfully thankfully now on a paved road we know there's there's in addition to uh for the residents having a road connection and what that will bring to the isolated communities in the of it. we know that we are also a very resource-rich part of the province. It's it's absolutely incredible. I was in Boise's Bay last Monday with the federal minister, uh, Seamus, and to see the work that's happening, to see as they move underground. And I believe we haven't even begun to tip the iceberg. So uh, one of the things, that's uh, as the minister for Labrador at the big round table, it's my job uh, to say to my colleagues, uh, you know, Let's continue with building the road that truly is an investment where I am more than confident that the return will be there, given some of the work that's already happening in Labrador, given some of the things we already know about the resources that's there in place.
2: So I guess the onus now is on the provincial government to make sure that there's enough money set aside for snow clearing and maintenance of that highway, which is going to be challenging. It's going to be, you know, it's large, vast areas of isolated roadway. Uh, and we all know what happens every year with uh, the, the road between Red Bay and Lodge Bay. So um, what kind of, uh, you know, money needs to be set aside to make sure that that road is kept open?
3: So so just uh, two things. I want to say with the building of the road, I do want to acknowledge the contribution from Canada and in particular the last five or six years working closely with my federal colleague, uh, MP Jones. They have been a partner in, and the way that piece of work have happened is yes. The provincial government have submitted a business case year over year to Ottawa, and she's always managed to get it over the finish line. And it's been a very much a cost-shared effort to get us where we are to today. In terms of maintenance and obtaining uh, maintaining the road, we've been doing that for the last number of years. So uh, in the Labrador Straits, you know, there's a very... um, uh, difficult section of road to keep open. Uh, we call it the Barrens locally. 78 kilometre stretch between Red Bay and Lodge Bay. Uh, that is a challenge. We get some pretty terrible weather conditions, and and that is still maintained by government. I will say, down in southeast, uh, you know, government has contracted that out for. For a number of years now, maybe even predating my time, uh, we do get very good value there, we feel. And so they have actually been maintaining that road. Even though the asphalt is just complete, the road's been open for a number of years to Happy Valley Goose Bay. Actually, in 2013, when I first got elected, the road was open then. We did have ADK done on the Goose Bay, and and then we've seen the rest of the road from Red Bay all the way up to Goose Bay. That's been paved. But it has been open, and it has been being maintained uh, year over year. And I have to say that the folks working on that road have done an incredible job. Uh, We're just coming off a winter where we've had um, an unprecedented amount of snow. I had houses in my district in places like Red Bay, Seniors were the only thing out were the, were the roofs on their houses, but uh, that was uh, more the exception than the norm. It was a hard year nonetheless, especially Red Bay going uh, from Mary's Harbour going north to Goose. We didn't have too many road closures. We did have more in the straits, but it was a it was an exceptionally difficult year for sure.
2: Well, Lisa Dempster, I know it's exciting times in uh, Labrador and we await to see what's uh, going to be the next big announcement. So uh, I really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Linda, for the opportunity. It really was a proud day for Labradorians. And I just want to close by saying I stand on the shoulders today of so many who came before, going back decades, over the past number of days, we've been hearing names like Hank Schaus and, and John Hickey. We've been hearing names of Rhonda, someone from here in town who was Transportation Minister at the time, the Combined Councils of Labrador. Uh, there was uh, This was truly an effort by a lot of people, and uh, we owe a great deal to everyone who played a little role and uh and so now we look to uh, we've celebrated our win it was a big win we've celebrated that this week we'll have a ceremony a little later on to do something formal and we'll look back over the incredible accomplishment but uh, now uh next week we move on to to the next there's always another challenge and uh, and we're always happy to take it on uh, have a good rest of the day linda and thank you so much for the time
2: yes all the best and have a good weekend wonderful thanks you too and that's uh, Labrador Affairs Minister Lisa Dempster. We're going to go now to the caller on line one. Hello.
4: Yes, hello. How are you this morning?
2: I'm great. How are you?
4: I'm oh, not too bad.
2: What's on uh, your mind?
4: I uh, one call this morning about difficulty my daughter's having trying to get a uh, Code of Conduct and Vulnerable Sector check from the RNC. Uh, she applied for the 7th of June, and the website's the RNC website says it should take 15 business days um, so she had to pay $20 fee and attach that to the application, uh, the receipt. Uh, she didn't receive any notification from the RNC of any trouble with the application. Late June She, uh, like, well after the 15 business days, she contacted them to find out about us, and whoever she was talking to said they couldn't find the application in their system. Uh, The receipt wasn't to be found in my daughter's email, and so then she didn't know where to turn. Uh, She was supposed to start work at a place this week. So as of now, she's as, uh, as of Monday, she's losing money. Uh, so in order to get the code of conduct, she went to the commissioners, paid another $20, and in a matter of about 20 minutes, she had that in her hand, but she still didn't have the vulnerable sector check. So,
2: so what's the holdup? Were they able to, help to tell her? They, they simply couldn't find it in the system? What went wrong?
4: Can't get any information. Um, I went online and paid for another application for her uh, the other day. I didn't get uh, receipts in my email. Uh, I had still had the page open uh, from the, that I filled out some paid for with the application. When I clicked back on the page for the government website, it said uh, there was an error and to uh, try it again. So now, I, other than my bank statement, I have no proof saying this. I paid for it. The RNC doesn't have anything saying the application was paid for.
2: So this is all so, online through Service NL?
4: That's correct. And we went to the RNC Monday morning and uh, spoke to a lady there who's who knows, you know, that what happens and everything but she's filling in for the person that actually processes the applications i guess and anyway she filled out a paper application this time had to pay another twenty dollars and the lady that took the application from her told her that they processed the application um and sent it on to the records department and we had to wait on them so here it is now since monday she's losing pay uh she didn't go back to one job that she had for the last four years because she was taking this new one and she has another job and she took reduced hours so she could work full-time at this other one and i mean for one she doesn't have you know money to be thrown away and add these applications now she's losing money I can't get any answer on how long it'll take to guess her vulnerable sector check. I can't get any answer, information on how to get refunds for the applications that we did extra. And I also asked who do we send a letter from her employer to for lost wages in the RNC to recoup that loss because they're well beyond the 15 business days it's supposed to take. I can't get any answers. Now, uh, your producer has my number. It would be terrific if someone from the RNC could give me a call so I could help with that get a straight note because it's causing a great uh, deal of uh,
2: stress and anxiety. As you Certainly. Know. Um, and Dave has just forwarded me something. It's a, it's a business in uh, the Paradise area, uh, Provincial Investigative Services. And uh, there's a, a number of uh, phone numbers there and an email address. Do you mind if I put you on hold and he can put you in contact with them, see if that might uh, help in any way?
4: And we greatly appreciate
2: it. Yeah, we'll put you on hold then. And the next person you're going to speak to will be Dave. So hang in there.
4: Fantastic. Thank you.
2: All righty. Uh, and there you go, Dave. He's back on hold, I believe. Uh, and we're going to take a short break. We'll be back right after this. Weekdays on VOCM. It's open line with your host, Patty Daly. Join the conversation each morning from 9 a.m. to noon on your VOCM. We get people talking. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. We're going to go now to Susan Giney. Hi, Susan. Good morning, Linda. How are you? I'm great. How are you this morning?
5: Oh, I'm good. I'm down in Furryland working today. Uh, I'm working with a lady, actually, that the very first thing when she wakes up in the morning, she says, turn on VOCM, and the
2: radio stays on then until, (laughs) well, uh, most of the day it stays on. God love her. She and many more besides. Oh, yes. Wally loves VOCM. (laughs) So... We're calling now about
5: our seventh annual fundraiser, and I think you've t- you Bill sent you an email now. I don't know if you got it. I have it, yes, but okay. I want you to tell us all about it. Okay, well, uh, this year we're going a little bit different. We're going to have five different walks. And they're not going to be as big as last year's walk right across the province, even though we'd love to be over on the West Coast now and staying with all of our friends and family and celebrating with them and fundraising together with them. Uh, but we decided to loop
2: the loop this year and let's and- back up for just a moment because you know what we're talking about i know what we're talking about but the n- the listener might not be familiar so you and bill have been involved in this mental health walk every year yeah. now for the last seven years yeah well it started out as push-ups
5: that's right in, uh, yeah in seven years ago so it it, it was push-ups and then the next year was push-ups and then it was uh continue on with push-ups but last year we t- it decided to incorporate walking into it because a lot of people can't do the push-ups I can't do very many push-ups <laughs> tell <laughs> so, me about it I, so I, it took me and Bill a month I drove and he walked across Newfoundland and we came down um the Irish loop, we went down the Salmon Air Line and can, continued on right to Signal Hill. And the support that we got from all the communities, all along the Southern Shore, were so, so good. I mean, I'm not knocking anybody, St. John's or, or Port of Ass or anywhere that we passed through a town. Everybody was so good. Uh, we had truck drivers coming up to us and saying, are you the guy that walked across Newfoundland, you know, because they had seen us when they got off the ferry? Um, but this year we decided to make sure that we stay close to home because it's it's easier. And with the price of gas, we wouldn't be able to drive across the lake <laughs> anyway. So um, we're starting in uh, Riverhead. Uh, we start. Um, it's going to be um, Riverhead and the Gaskers Ball Field. So there's going to be a group of people on one side and a group of people on the other side, and we're going to meet at St. Mary's Ballfield, and then they're going to have uh, a barbecue and a carving demo and uh, just celebrate the whole day. Now, we're going to start this morning off tomorrow morning with Sheila Lee. I know she's going to cook a big breakfast for us. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, Then the next, um, we're going to be in Tripassie on July 16th, Whitless Bay, July 23rd uh cape royal on july 30th and then we're going to finish it off in the town where we live which is it's not where we were born but it is our hometown
2: and we love it we're going to start uh end it august 13th in renews so and this is going to be every saturday is that correct so you're not doing this as saturday. a continuous thing but you're going to do it no. bit by bit by bit every weekend Yes, yes, and we're all, like, we're going to,
5: we're waiting on tickets for a 50-50, and they'll be sold all summer long, and there's a link on our Facebook pages that anybody can go on and donate or or uh, just follow us along. we got people coming tomorrow from our last year's walk. They're going to come up and meet us in uh, Riverhead and, and Gaskers, and we're going to, um, Gaskers, am I saying it right? Gaster. Yeah, Gaskers. And we're going to... Um, be there with the people that we spent time with last year. And we're so looking forward to it. And we had so many people reaching out to us that were part of our walk last year, that they want to be part of it again this year. And now this kind of gives everybody a little community where you you don't have to walk the whole time with us, but you can join up in any of your hometowns and, um, you know, meet at the at the fields of where we're going to be, uh, and they're going to have barbecues. I, and Renews, the end of it, they're going to have, uh, they're trying to have bouncy castles and free swimming and uh, um, hot dogs and hamburgers. And it's going to be great. And um, it's a busy time of year because this is our come home year. So everybody's been trying to fit us in either before their town events or incorporating us in with the town events and Um, why is
2: why is this cause so important to the two of you to, to be doing these kinds of uh events and efforts over the last seven years
5: well it's important to us because of our girls our girls still have uh you know they'll they'll always have some mental issues with their depressions and anxieties and one has a borderline personality disorder. Um, We started it out for them, supporting them and they have come so far ahead in their ability to um, adapt to their mental health and finding help with it and finding support and we We continue to do it for them. We want them to know that we'll always be there to support them. And and this is the most important thing. I've always said this it's not just the fundraising, it's the people talking. Last year, we found that people opened up to us. People were able to walk alongside of us and talk with us and share their experiences or or stories of, of their battles with mental health. And we wanted to get them to do this again this year. Just walk and talk with us and, you know, share stories. And uh, we've been uh, working on a little project of probably trying to write up a story about all of our experiences the past seven years and reaching out to certain individuals that their stories have touched us uh, drastically. We are not drastically, but touched us in a way that, um, you know, we want their, their story to be told too, because it's important that everybody has somebody to go to, uh to talk to and to share their feelings and maybe get help and reach out everywhere. Um, I'm distracted because I'm getting a call. Oh, I that's no problem. But <laughs> I would.
2: Was- Susan, it's busy times for you because I know you're trying to organize all this and get it off the ground. So uh, it starts tomorrow in Riverhead, St. Mary's Bay, and you're going to be walking um, every Saturday over the next five weeks. Yeah. And you're going to be looping the loop.
5: Yeah, we're going to loop the loop, and uh, I wanted to give a big shout-out. Last year, we had a really good sponsor, um, Arthur James, and they have supplied us again this year with walking shoes for Bill, and they've been so supportive of us. And, of course, uh, our family at Canadian Mental Health Mental Health, uh Paul and everybody we've lost a few people they've gone on to other jobs but the support is still there from those people and we we love the fact that we have our family in St. John supporting us in, along the way and uh, they're going to come up and join us in some of these events and we're just going to continue going we can't we can't stop now
2: I mean, yeah. we we <laughs> We, we love it. We look forward to it every year. Well, I you're think doing we, good we, work. Uh, Susan, all the best to you both. Uh, we'll, thank you uh, so much. We'll remind people throughout the day in a little news story uh, on VOCM.com and, and on VOCM itself. Uh, so uh, all the best to you. Yes, thank you. And I'll be talking to you again over the walks in the next Oh, for weeks. sure. Yes, keep us thank up to date. Thank you so much, Linda. I appreciate it. All right, thank you. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to hear from a farmer on the port of port Peninsula about this new windmill farm that's being proposed. Uh, Coming up right after this and we're back and uh, we've had a pretty busy morning so far but the lines have loosened up so if you've been trying to get through couldn't do so now is your chance to do it and raise anything uh, any of the topics that we've been talking about now and respond to them or anything that you want to raise because this is open line it's about what's uh, important to you and who knows it might get a lot of people talking so we're gonna go now to uh, Sam on line three Sam Gesso hello
6: Good morning. How are you doing?
2: I'm good. Sorry for the wait, Sam. That's okay. That's all right. So, what's uh, on your mind? The, the
6: reason why I'm calling is because of the the, the windmill farms on the Port Portland Port, Peninsula that's going to be eradicated by rural energy. They're putting 165 turbines here. But, I mean, people's got a lot of negative attitude about it, but I tell you firsthand, for myself, where I lived in BC, there's quality windmill farms and dokey reserve farms there we know farms is everywhere i live by them i work by them and there's not a hazard to to an environment at all if you don't like the color you can paint it you can change it to any color you want
2: but these things are are massive i mean there's no way to look past them or around them they're massive
6: yes and you mean it's in the country and it's in the country and they're massive but you know why is all the rest of Canada is, is, is eradicating them? All the reserves, First Nation reserves in BC, Alberta, they're eradicating. It's cleanest energy in the world. There's nothing out there cleaner. You mean, there's no effect to environment. You mean, people will say this and that, but they're just going by Google and somewhere disasters in other countries or, or something like that. But in Canada, in the last five years, show me some written documents. Show me where the people live, the farmers. There, you mean, there's no environmental impact. We want them here. We people that's traveling back and forth to the mainland for the last five years. If the jobs, if they can get two years' work to stay home, yes, if they want to stay home to get the two years' work. You mean, we're we're being there to get those electrical bills as high here. We should be left here in Newfoundland Hydro to get a cut in this here because listen here, the extra power that's coming from this from these here hydrogen, these windmill farms, uh, Newfoundland Hydro is getting it.
2: So, so how many jobs little- will, th- will this project um, create?
6: About 1,600 jobs, but not permanent. Now they're only about two, two years. Then, after that, it's going to be probably about 100 permanent jobs. But it's like that on any construction site. You mean, Muskrat Falls is booming for a few years. Bull and the Hebron Project. You mean, there's no, you mean, it's all good. If I, if I can stay, if anybody can stay over to work for an extra year or two, they're not going to complain. I want to stay home, but this here is not given no environmental impact. We mean our wildlife is small here? You mean it's? You mean there's, there's no sound from these things? You mean you don't hear them? I walked around them. I worked with. The, you mean basically pipeline. I worked in the fossil fuel industry for 13 years, and seven of those years was in the pipeline, in in British Columbia and Alberta. You mean you're around these things all the time? There's no hazard. You mean there's more hazards than the Port of Port Peninsula besides those windmill farms. We got the limestone quarry up there. You mean we hear it blasting that shakes every house on the on and off the Port of Port Peninsula every week. You mean there's you can look down there's canyon down there, it looks like little little, little Sands of dirt when you look down over a cliff, there's no protection warning fences around it. There. There's there's no sloping, it's all straight cliffs. So, the time you I mean you go around the beach is how far you have to walk before you see garbage, how far in the country you have to walk before you see garbage. People should be concerned about getting this place cleaned up. What we already have here those windmill farms, they're going to put money in the area and the spinoffs. So, they s- also promised that they're going to help put money into the health care. It's so what
2: better than you can get. So, Sam, you're obviously a big proponent of this.
6: I am supporting it 100%, and I think it's a good thing for dairy. If people want to know about the
2: windfall farms, Go see them. So um, go see they're go- there's, a, as you said, 165 turbines, and they're going to be spread out, of course, and over a huge yes. area. Um, yes. So what's happening there? Are they going on private property and are going to be rented out? Uh, Does land have I'm to be expropriated? How is that going to work?
6: It's all crown land, and if you do go to private property, they will, I guess they'll make a deal with the person that owns it, but most of it's all crown land. It's. We're, I believe in an incorporated community. That's what we call local service district is in corporate community. We have a say, say too, not only corporate communities, but in corporate communities like myself, local service district. We have a say in this here, too. We live here, too. We have rights. Just because we don't pay taxes like the rest of the communities because we fought against it years ago, we didn't want it years ago, those people that got this corporate, they wanted it. We didn't ever really want it.
2: So this is going through the environmental assessment process as we speak. Um, what are you encouraging people to do? Um, you know, have their say? I, think that
6: people should, I, I encourage people to support this, and I think people should go out to Newfoundland Hydro for to, get, uh, for to get a piece of this pie, to get, get some lower light bills, or like, like uh, Churchill Falls and Goose Bay, because the air getting the extra power and is going back on the grid and sold back to us. So that's what I think that people... And you mean the people that working, a lot of them is not here. On behalf of them, the ones that are away working, that have the leave. The, I spoke to them, they support this. They said they, want, they don't want to go away next week. If they can stay home next year, they want to stay home. And like I said, there's no environment problems with this here, windmill farms. but I lived by them and worked around them. I'm speaking from my own experience. I lived around them for seven years, and I worked around them for 13 years. So it was not a problem.
2: Yeah, and I do know that sometimes these uh, windmill farms have received some pushback in some areas. I know uh, when I visited the UK about a decade or so ago, they uh, had huge areas in and around Cornwall that had these uh, windmill farms, and they are quite startling when you see them spread out in front of you and, and so huge. Uh, and rich. there was a bit of pushback from people in that area who felt it was, you know, destroying the landscape. But, um, uh, you know, there are... We need some alternatives to energy, I suppose, and sometimes people have no issues with it and some people do.
6: Exactly. I mean, out here in the peninsula, I mean, there's a lot of people, there's some people against it, but there's a lot of people for it. You mean, we, I mean, a lot of people don't know nothing about it. Don't know, have a clue what this is about. But I tell you everything, it's better than fossil fuel. I worked in the fossil fuel industry. There's nothing nice about that. Most of the, the environmental damage you don't see, it goes in the ground as you keep house oh, shut and mouth shut.
2: Well, everything there's about there's no, this particular. No more environmental disasters. Everything about this particular proposal is available online. Uh, we had a news story about it not too long ago, so if you want to do the old Google, um, uh, it's all linked to that story online. So you should be able to read up on it and see exactly what it's all about, and what's proposed, and what it will mean. And if you don't
6: understand it, you mean you mean Google Alert, you got the didn't sound things around it, you mean there's there's nothing. You can you mean but I recommend that the people actually the ones to people some people there should be a person in every community around the Port Port Peninsula or Steenville or Flatby, wherever these turbines are going these windmills to, to go and visit a wind farm. And maybe the company might pay for them to go, but they should go to see it. It's they're enormous. You mean just like any apartment, those buildings you go in downtown Toronto? They're enormous, they're big. Any of those oil refiners you look at, they're enormous, right? Airports are enormous. You mean you get more more environmental problems from a transformer on the pole and cell phone towers? There's more noise from my fridge than the windmill farm. So you mean there's no problems at all from first hand experience. First-hand experience i speak because i know i lived there and i worked around it
2: and so are, well, are you hearing people who are saying uh, uh, i don't like this idea
6: well they're saying clicking noises, noises where are you getting this from where are you getting this from you mean when this here farms all started wherever to, to maybe there was problems but western canada most of these reserves the dorky reserve is eradicating those windmill farms are putting them up. Where, all the reserves, because they don't want fossil fuel in their communities. Here, I don't want to see no more oil wells or fracking going on the Port of Port. Peninsula. I was always for the environment. I always respected the environment. I want the things cleaned. I fought many years to get things cleaned up, and then you go back again five years later and you, you see all the garbage for all over the place. So, people should care about your own background and your neighbors and everybody should get together and try to. Clean up your communities. I okay. you mean, we want our communities cleaned up. You mean do that first before you start pushing these companies? These companies are clean. We Sam, need our environment clean. Let's do it. Sam, I are willing to help. I appreciate your call.
2: Help. I'd like to hear what others have to say about it. Uh, thanks very much. You have yourself a good day. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we have some lines open now. It's your chance to give us a call right after this. Saturday morning, join us for the Irish Newfoundland Show. Send your request to irishnl at vocm.com or submit them online at vocm.com. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is uh, off on vacation. And uh, from time to time, people send uh, emails. And got this one from David Boyd in Twillingate. And he operates a little um, tourism business uh, there. And he uh, sent us a note about the value of tourism. And uh, he sent us this gorgeous picture of a little girl who's visiting from outside the province. And she's holding up a little tiny sculpin. And you wouldn't know now, but she had the world. <laughs> with this ugly old sculpin in her hands. But uh, um, uh, David Boyd is talking about the, the value of tourism and the kind of experience that these kind of things offer to people. And uh, I'd like to hear from uh, tourism operators or visitors, first-time visitors to the province, Two seven three five two one one is the number to call. Uh, see what you think of the whole experience, all that you can see. It's not the best of days uh, on that uh, tour boat, the wind is clearly blowing a little bit according to the way uh, it looks like perhaps her dad is uh, (laughs) being buffeted there but uh, oh my goodness gracious Um, lovely little picture so thank you David for that and if David if you happen to be listening I know you're a big tourism proponent here in Newfoundland and Labrador love to give uh, get you to give us a call we're going to go now to Mike you're on the air hi Mike
7: Hey, Linda, good morning. It's nice to hear you back on the Open Line program. Well, thank uh, you. Uh, love listening to your programs throughout today, and you do those really extensive interviews with some very interesting people as well. I don't know the name of the program.
2: I can remember on what On Target. It is.
7: Uh, on Target, yes, of course. Uh, I, 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 uh, I love listening to them. They're usually very informative, and many times very educational as well. Uh, Linda, the reason for my call this morning is sort of the decline in customer service that I, I see, th- I finding in the last couple of years, and being able to get things resolved, and being able to call, particularly government departments. I heard a caller to your land this morning talking about the great difficulty in trying to obtain a certificate of conduct, I believe, for his daughter, if I remember correctly. That's right. And uh, sort of getting the runaround, you know, being able to get anything pinned down to say, well, what's going on here? Where is this? Why can't we get this? Nobody seems to, they, they all seem to be pushing it around.
2: And, and, and uh, earlier in the week, sorry, Mike, I don't mean to interrupt you, but earlier in the week we heard from Detasha in Labrador West. I don't know if you caught that one, but she's facing a real nightmare situation. She's trying to get a passport for her little boy yeah. so the two of them can go to Ireland to bury the ashes of the child's father. And yeah. they say she needs a custody agreement. The man is dead.
7: Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it it's like you, you just can't get an answer. It's like uh, it reminds me of the old days, you go down and get collecting uh night crawlers, you know, to go trouting the next day, you get the worm and it breaks off, goes into the ground, you never really get it out, you know. You get a little bit of air, then it disappears on you again in resolution of a problem. Um and and I uh, I have a similar type of thing. You know, it's not serious to me, it's uh, but it involves the Phoenix pay system. And uh, you may recall that's the the famous system that uh, now Lieutenant Governor Judy Foote, I believe, was the minister of the day when it was brought in by the federal government to pay employees in the federal government. So uh, I I had a short stint as a casual with the federal government. Linda, uh, they owe me three days' pay. Now, if they need it that bad, I'll give it to them. Okay, they can have it. (laughs) But that's not the issue. The issue is it's outstanding for four months. Have I still got have by lost dealer.
2: Oh no, I'm listening intently okay, because yeah, this has been okay. an issue of course that's yeah uh, garnered yeah. a lot of attention over the years is still not resolved?
7: No, it it's 4 months now. I I I've had in a previous life and you know, we had pay issues, you'd have them resolved in 24 hours, at the very most, within the week, if there were some extenuating circumstances, but for the most part, if somebody called up, you know, I don't have my pay, and you'd, you'd get it resolved, you'd issue the pay, and anyway, you go on with this, but, you know, getting through to service candidates is like trying to pull the worm out of the ground, you know? It's like uh, you call up and say, well, you know what, they, they, it's only three days' pay. It was due back in March to 10th, and now we're at, you know, July to 10th, pretty much the 8th. And so we got four months, and it's not issued. And each time the agent, and I'm not criticizing the agent who takes the call, the agent's very congenial and very professional, and they're doing their job. But they just don't have an answer, and they can't get me an answer, and I can't get a supervisor. They, they're they not taking calls, escalated calls, on the Phoenix pay system. And each time I call, they say, well, it's the Phoenix pay system. It's four months. You know, And it, I mean, what's so hard about this? I'll go down and do it for them if they want it done. You know, if that's the problem, they got it. But what kind of a system in the private enterprise, if you were owed okay, and it was owed to you for four months. Never mind the amount. Let's say it's $5,000 or $500, whatever it is, or $50. If you're owed pay for work you did, you want to get paid. If you owed Revenue Canada any money, I assure you, they're not going to wait after you tell them that you'll pay in two weeks. They're not going to wait four months.
2: Or they're not going l- to listen to you say, well, why? Yeah. it's the Phoenix pay system. I don't have it. They're, yeah, yeah. yeah. I,
7: I, I, we, we can't get it. And it's like... Well, you're at level two now. Oh, what does that mean? Well, it's with an agent, but it's been with an agent for four months. <laughs> you know, there's a file sitting there that pops up every day when an agent goes in for four months. And what gets me about this is, I actually called my MP's office. so my job is hey. Joanne Thompson, but you know what, Linda? They the reply to me is, "Well, we don't become involved in HR matters." And I said, "What?" You're the federal MP for the riding. It's a federal system. It's not paying people for four months. and you So where do you get the, the answers? Insurance. Well, I called Seamus O'Regan's office, and it was the same thing. They don't want to get involved. So I'm talking about the decline of customer service. I called, raising an issue with Patty several months ago, many months ago, was a similar situation. When you call, Linda, if you called me, uh, for something. Let's roll reverse for a moment. If 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 you call me for a moment and say, "Mike, uh, i got a problem, and I'll say, well, Linda, I'm going to place you on hold now for a few minutes while I research this. And I'll place you on hold, and you're listening to the hold music, and you assume you're talking to some of the, maybe one of your children in the background and directing up. And you'll say, you know, you keep that up. You know, you have this in-house conversation that's going on. But what you don't know, or what you didn't know, now you get a little warning status, is that you're listening to, to hold music. I'm not. I'm listening to you. If you call me, I got, to tell you I'm on hold. You're on hold. You're in hold music. But what's going on in the background in the house? Maybe you're having an argument with a spouse. Maybe you said to your spouse, "Oh, you know, Uncle Jim, I helped him with the fence there, and he gave me the thousand bucks he owed us there a couple of months ago." And you're on EI, and all of a sudden you got a thousand bucks coming in, and the agents here, and you say this and you've disqualified yourself. So they secretly record you when you expect that you're on hold and nobody's listening.
2: Yeah, and, 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 and you could be expressing the frustration of why can't yeah, I get anywhere yeah. with this? This is ridiculous. They, I'm so sick and tired say, of this. It, it, so all of a sudden they've they've pegged you as yeah, somebody who's aggressive. Yeah, troublemaker, troublemaker. Yeah. And,
7: and, and and you think, but so I said, well, why are you guys like that's an intrusion in privacy? Why are you doing this? Why does Service Canada do this? If you call about your EI and you put them on hold, and they think, well, I'm on hold, I'm listening to old music, they're not listening to me, and you're telling them to your, your spouse or your partner or friend, just what terrible service you get from this guy, and <laughs> this guy actually has the ability to hear you and everything you say, so or what's going on in the background is being picked up, so I complained about that, sure enough, it hadn't been there, but after that, they had they've added some kind of a little thing, a friend of mine says, well, even when you're on hold, you might be being listened to. But that's ridiculous. But my point is, you can't get anybody to do anything. If you call, it's a lack of service. I remember back in the day, way before your time, Carl Sterrett, Ron Pumphrey, all those kinds of people. And if you called, they'd actually pick up the phone and they'd call down and they'd speak to the manager and say, are you recording Recording while they're on hold?" And the manager would be like, oh, oh, oh yeah, i got to get this done. But you can't do that anymore. Now... No. But now the system pushes you back. Like this fellow this morning who called you, and my heart goes out to him. I mean, somebody should say there's a problem, and here's what the problem is. You know, maybe the record is not clear. Maybe we can't issue it. Or, but, you know, just keep sending around, sending them around, sending them around, Send around. paying more money, paying more money. Where has client services gone? And Service Canada, that's ridiculous. Come on, Service Canada. Uh, you know, Lieutenant Governor Judy Putt, uh you still got any contacts with that department? If you're listening this morning, or you're out walking your garden. Pick up the phone for me. We can call the service Canada and say, what are you doing? There's still people four months not getting three days of pay. You
2: it's know? an exercise in futility. And, I mean, I, I, I feel for someone like you that really needs, uh, you know, some answers Resolution. and can't get them. No. Yeah. Uh, I mean... If I, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, no, that's all right. Uh, but it's an absolute exercise in futility. I found myself having to call uh, the federal government not too long ago because I got a letter saying that I owed them Serb. I never collected Serb. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I just wanted to set it straight saying, look, I never collected Serb. You'll see it on your records. And yeah. the runaround I got just to, for that simple, hey, I didn't get the Serb. Oh, yeah, no, you didn't get the Serb. No, everything's fine. Ignore that letter. Um, the runaround I got just trying to get to that CERB Space and again, yeah. you know, you're going to be recorded while this is on hold, no, and yeah. you're there for 20 minutes, so you're having all kinds of conversations, and like you say, uh, uh, you know, yeah, your
7: private conversations. Yeah, private conversations. You know,
2: and get you down out, out of that. Like you're, you're talking to the right dog it. and everything. You know, yeah.
7: <laughs> you want to talk about a medical difficulty that you have. You don't want the federal government listening on you. Thank you very much. If they got you on hold get out of my home. If you want to talk to me what I'm calling about, fine, I've got no problem with that. But stop secretly taping me and leaving me believing that I'm listening to old music and therefore you're not hearing anything I'm saying. That's garbage. Yeah. I, guess, I guess what frustrates me is that this fellow triggered me this morning is just... Even my MPs. What's wrong with you, MPs? That's why we're paying you all this money. Come on, Joanne. Tell your people when somebody calls in and says, i got a problem with the federal government department or agency, say, yeah, give me the details. Don't spit out all the way, oh, it's We don't deal with HRHU. i pay, pay, pay That's garbage. And the Minister of Labour of all people, Seamus O'Regan, so, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's pathetic, and my heart goes out to that caller earlier. That's not good enough. They're waiting for a, a, a certificate of conduct for a job, you know? And we've got all kinds of issues with jobs, and somebody is just not taking ownership of the issue and they're solving it. And it seems to be government departments particularly they think They don't care. It's like their attitude is well, you can't do anything about it. What are you going to do about it? Well, I'm calling them this way. So there. Right. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, we'll let, let, oh. hopefully, let's get some answers. Dwayne, who's listening, sent us a little note saying he's been five years waiting for his money from the through the paint at Phoenix Pay yeah. system. Five years? Yeah. It, 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 yeah, I've heard horror stories. How is that good enough? Yeah. But, uh, you know what? They won't escalate to. You call in to say,
7: I want to speak to a manager about this. They Oh, no, there's no escalations on this. And there's nothing else. So, uh, I say, Well, I want to get transferred to the agent who has my file for four months and hasn't paid it. Oh, no, they don't take phone calls. <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, who does that? When, if, if a private company owed you money and they don't know where to call from me. who does that and gets away with it?
2: Well, you take them to small claims court, but uh, good luck with that. Good luck. Good luck. So Service Canada, your service and
7: your payroll end of it, and your taping of private calls sucks. And and, and and I don't like it. And, Linda, thank you very much for listening to my frustrations. And to that gentleman who called earlier, I'm so sorry to hear you going through this. But call the MP. They might get involved in HR issue for you. Mike, uh,
2: appreciate your call as always. Thanks. Thank you, Linda. Have a great day. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. And we're up to a break. We'd like to hear from you. The phones are... <laughs> are lighting up. Maybe uh, Mike has uh, hit uh, a um, a nerve there. Oh, somebody else sending me a note uh, about uh, Phoenix. I'll have a read of that and uh, let you know what that has to say coming back right after this. So it seems that problems with the Phoenix pay system continue. We're getting emails from people who are saying they're still having trouble and they can't uh, get their MP to uh, help them out in any way uh, with, uh, you know, in getting paid, so what are the problems there? I'd like to hear from others who may be similarly affected. And could, can you imagine this kind of scenario in any other case? it's uh, people pay you know need to be paid for the work that they're doing and somehow um it's still not happening and we've seen protests and the like uh, throughout the course of a number of years now since that uh, system was brought into play uh, anyway any further thoughts on that or even dealing with uh, governments on any level um we've had uh, if you've ever tried to to find something on the federal government website, it's nearly impossible. I was doing a search the other day for a news release that I know had been released, that it was out, but um, we didn't receive it from you know through the usual methods through email, and so I was looking for that, and I knew what I was looking for, and you know it took me twenty minutes to find the darn thing. <laughs> and I knew what I was looking for. The, the search that I had to do to get that was unbelievable uh, and that's somebody who's used to the system, who's used to navigating it and who knew exactly what they were looking for. So uh, not good enough in a lot of ways. We talk about open, uh, open uh, and transparency and all of that sort of thing. Um, sometimes it seems as though governments put things out and say well it's out there but try to find it is the key uh, in some cases. We're going to go now to the MHA for Harbour Grace, Port de Grave, uh, Pam Parsons, hello. Good morning, Linda. How are you doing today? And um, finally, it's great to see some good summer weather. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, and last two weeks in particular have been fabulous. Uh, a little cooler today, but that's okay. It's easier to sleep. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, wonderful. We won't complain. We'll certainly take it.
8: And, of course, we're. I think what we've been through in the, in the last couple of years, of course, dealing with COVID and maneuvering through this pandemic, I think we're all very deserving of some nice, warm, relaxing weather this summer.
2: <laughs> Speaking of open and transparent, transparency, uh, your department came in for some, I guess, uh, not criticism, but uh, a little bit of admonishment from the privacy commissioner who uh, was trying to have, um, apparently the, the Office of Women and Gender Equality um, has to release certain records requested via an, an access to information request that they had um, blocked from being released. And even the process of the the privacy commissioner trying to find alternate means to determine whether or not you were justified in blocking that information came up null. So now that information has to be released. So what's, what's the department's perspective on all of that?
8: Well, about that, I mean, yes, I represent, of course, the Department of Women and Gender Equality, the, the office. We are a policy shop, but uh, believe it or not, but politicians are not involved in the process at all. Um, so I wasn't even aware, actually, about the request come in with the Privacy Commissioner. We have designated officials of the, and their public servants in each department deal with such requests and um politicians were ha- were hands off i mean i wasn't even aware of it to be until it was brought to light of course through me to my communications director when it when media had gotten involved but i'm j- we're just not involved in that process so i i ultimately can't speak to it. and i mean i guess it's the system is designed that way so politicians are not involved But there is a process, and uh, the appropriate ATIP coordinators and the officials within the public service are indeed the people who deal with these requests and these processes. So really, ultimately, and unfortunately, that's all I can say about it.
2: Does it concern you, though, as Minister of the Department?
8: Um, Well, you know, again, the public service, of course, the way it's designed, I mean, we have a bureaucracy, we've got the executive of course, elected officials, and it's complex, and it's like that, whatever level of government, whether it be municipal, provincial, or federal. It's and I actually studied political science in university. And I remember learning about this, and it is, you know, it, it's they're complex government systems. I mean, and that's the way it is. I mean, unfortunately, there's like, like I said, I, there's nothing else I can say, and I'm, and I'm not involved in that process. So we'll we'll let the privacy commissioner and the appropriate f- officials go through that process and that's, that's we're all at the mercy of that, of that process.
2: Fair enough, and uh, I wanted to address that because I know it was sort of, you know, the um, elephant in the room for a little while. So uh, what brings you to uh, Open Line this morning?
8: Well, I wanted to talk about some district matters tonight. I just we just had the annual crab supper, actually in Porta Graves, uh, the first one now probably since COVID, actually, um, and I really have to throw hats off to the ACW, uh, local St. Luke's Parish in Portagrave Graves for successfully ensuring that this uh, this event is a success for more than 20 years now. Um, we had visitors from all over, uh, perhaps the Avalon, actually, and as far as away from central that were there last night um, to enjoy some great locally caught crab, of course. And I want to throw a hats off to the Andrews family, Eleanor and Clarence Andrews. as they, uh, they're a big part of this, as I mentioned as well, with the ACW. And uh, it's great to see some community events getting in, out in full swing and uh, everybody, out, you know, relaxing and enjoying and getting getting to visit one another in person again. And, of course, all those proceeds go to St. Luke's Parish, which is uh, a vital part of the community in port Grave, graves need And I was down there last night, and I, uh, and I was happy to play some music, actually, for the event and, and sing some songs. So I just wanted to throw that out there, and uh, lots of great events happening for Come Home Year uh, here for Harbour Grace port grave I also want to invite people to Harbour Grace. As you know, Linda, uh, we're celebrating the 90th anniversary of Amelia Earhart's transatlantic flight from the Harbour Grace Airstrip um, over to Ireland. Uh, We marked that actually back in May, but this is certainly an event that uh, we're going to be celebrating all summer and all year for that matter. So actually tomorrow at the Harbour Grace Airstrip, there are events happening, and all are certainly welcome to come. And uh, taking all we've got to offer here throughout Bay Roberts and Port Graves and Harbor Graves and Upper Island Cove and Spaniards Bay and all the wonderful uh, communities throughout the district that I represent. But while we're talking district matters, I also want to certainly make my constituents aware and to remind them that I'm just uh, I'm always lobbying, of course, and advocating for road work. As we know, when the road work is one of the top priorities across Newfoundland and Labrador. Uh, the province is responsible for about 11,000 kilometers of highway. Um, and if you want to kind of put that into paint a picture, that's like from driving, say, from here to Vancouver. It's certainly significant uh, road work. And uh, roadway that the province is responsible for, but uh, Route 70 Bay Roberts is in great need, of course, of some uh, of some work, and I am I did receive a commitment from Minister Elvis Lovelace that we will see work happen on that. Also the Port of Graves Peninsula, we have a lot of heavy traffic, of course, from the fishery um, in and out of Port of Graves, of course, every year, and uh, so just to, I, I just want everyone to know, I mean, it takes time unfortunately. I, I would love to see things done um, right away, as everybody would. We have 40 districts across this province, but uh, certainly the advocating is certainly ongoing on my behalf and I'm happy to say that and of course from a department perspective we've got some pride celebrations that are happening as you know next week we're kicking off uh, St. John's Pride we're going to be holding actually a ceremony at at the uh, confederation building myself and the premier and invited community stakeholders next Friday so I'm really excited about that also the town of Harbor Grace are kicking off their pride celebrations on Thursday and I'll be down there, of course, to join with the town and the, the team at the Splash Centre in Harbour Grace to mark those very important, of course, milestones in our history and uh, to ultimately promote inclusiveness and safe and, and healthy, respectful communities for everyone uh, to enjoy because we all certainly deserve that right.
2: So what's the latest on the Splash Centre? You mentioned them and they, they had some difficulties there for a, little, uh, period, a short period of time trying to figure out if they would actually be able to stay in the building that they are. Has all that been resolved now? It, I'm happy to say that it has, and uh, it took a lot of uh, a lot of you know elbow work, if
8: you will, or um, people working together. Um, as we know, that the splash center is they're housed out of the former Harbor Grace Primary School, which was the former St. Columbus Elementary in the school system the k-12 to system so they're still located in that building and it's my understanding that arrangements are being made through the department of education of course to work it so the splash center can be sufficient and uh, and actually pay their way forward to occupy this building and all the expenses that are included in that because prior to that one of the biggest problems is that it was actually being paid for out of the out of the the, the education budget from k-12 to where it was a former school and that of course was an arrangement set up some years ago Uh, prior to this government actually taking office, but uh, plans have been made. I want to commend the dedicated team that are down there, the employees as well as all the volunteers. Splash Center is a very integral, very important uh, community center in Harbor Grace, not just simply for Harbor Grace, but it services the region, and it offers uh, different programs from health and community services to Planned Parenthood to safe uh, communities against violence. are also located there, and we all know that they have a lot of great summer programming for, for for kids <laughs> so it's certainly well utilized there's certainly a big demand for it and uh, i think it's safe to say that all residents in harbour grace and the surrounding communities uh, really value the splash center and i'm happy to say that we're able by working together it took some time but you know things seem to be on the up and off and they're working out and uh, i'm getting good feedback and uh, people are happy down there as of now so we'll do what we can to keep that going
2: mha for harbour grace port de grave minister Pam parsons appreciate your time this morning thank you Thank you so much, Linda. Have a wonderful summer to you and all your
8: listeners, of course, and as always, be safe, and uh, let's take time to enjoy the summer here in beautiful Newfoundland and Labrador.
2: Indeed, and have a great weekend. Thank you, you too. Bye-bye. And we're going to come back right after this. Weekday mornings from 5.30 to 9. Jumpstart your day with Jerry Lynn Mackey and Ben Murphy. Newsmakers, traffic, weather, and more during your VOCM morning show. And we're back. Linda Swain in for Patty Daly. Uh, Rogers Helps has tweeted out just a few minutes ago, we know how important it is for our customers to stay connected. We are aware of issues currently affecting our networks and our teams are fully engaged to resolve the issue as soon as possible. They're not saying what it is exactly or how long it will take to resolve it. Uh, they say we will continue to keep you updated as we have more information to share. And they've, uh, there's a pin tweet there from 2020 that supposed to show you service interruptions or the extent of service interruptions and try as I might I cannot uh, through this uh, loop and maze of uh, information uh, find anything on that just going on my phone there now trying to go around in circles but um, anyway if you've been affected you're not probably not going to be able to give us a call I suppose but uh, uh, rest assured we're trying to get more information on that as uh, time goes on we're going to go now to Brian you're on the air Hello, Linda. How are you? I'm good, Brian. How are you? So
9: you got, Linda, did you say that you had a degree in earth? Uh, because you were talking about it one morning.
2: I'm sorry. What? What did you say?
9: Did you say you had a degree in Uh, in uh
2: I don't have a degree. I studied it. <laughs> I left oh, before okay. I got the degree. <laughs> oh, okay. Out of That's sheer all- frustration, I should say, it wasn't okay. a it wasn't a um, uh, a process that I was too enamored of.
9: Well, that's too bad, because you were talking about looking at art and it having an effect in you. which reminds me, back in the 1970s, I went to the National Art Museum that used to be at Hull, Quebec. I don't even know if it's open anymore. And I went into a to see a, an art exhibit, and there they had on loan, I think it was from the Louvre, the painting bomb. Uh, from Bango Gogh, Starry, Starry Night. Oh, just and beautiful, it, yeah. And, and the lady uh, introducing it told us, if you looked at the painting and you saw the brush strokes, you could see the anger. You could feel the anger. And I don't know if that's true. I don't know if I really believe her. But looking at the painting, I really had a feeling that whoever painted it there was a very, very angry person. And like yourself, said, it really moved me, and I list that song, of course, by Don McLean. And uh, I don't know too much about Van Gogh, but I think that he must have been a very, very angry, angry man, because you could see the brush strokes. And I agree with what you are talking about. I'm not an I'm not great artist. I I don't I don't go to art museums or anything like that. But um, you do can learn a lot about
2: the artist
9: when at
2: their paintings, you know? Oh, for sure. And when you see the hand of the artist is when it becomes right. much more intimate. It's one thing to see an image. It's another thing to see the hand of the artist at play. And um, I've had moments like that. There was um, uh, an exhibit at the uh, um, Museum of Modern Art in New York that I attended one time, and it was Monet. And I'm not a big fan of, not Monet, Manet. I'm not a huge fan of Manet. I know a lot of people are, but I'm not. Uh, but there was a piece. Uh, it was a sketch that he had done and he was obviously sitting in the back of a carriage and that's not something that I can relate to. I've never really sat in the back of a carriage before. But you could see where, you know, the carriage going over the cobblestones or the gravel or whatever yeah. it was, and the movement of the horse, and you could see that in the hand of him doing the sketch of the back end of the horse and, and the reins and, the, and the, uh, the operator there and all of that sort of thing. You could see that, mo- and that I felt was very powerful. I, you, you were in the carriage with the artist at that moment.
9: You could feel those things.
2: Yeah. Uh, While well, I
9: was going to phone you for this morning, and, and uh, Toddie knows me, uh, I'm what you call a political atheist. I have no use for politics or politicians.
2: I like but that no. term, by the way. I like it. I like it. Um, you can have I'm <laughs> uh, looking at what's
9: going on with the... Uh, Conservatives with their with their leadership the convention uh, federally, and now Mister Brown has been kicked out of the uh, out of the race. And you know, I got to admit, uh, politicians never let me let me down, and the conservatives never let me down. I've been following knife knife fights in the Conservative Party for years. Well, as a young fellow, I would imagine I don't know many years ago. Uh, there was a big knife fight between Dalton Camp, who was the president of the Conservative Party, a former Prime Minister John Diefenbaker. And then it was a war. Uh, the Conservative finally got rid of uh, Diefenbaker and replaced him with, Fred Sta- with Stanfield. And, of course, the Liberals answered with a guy
2: named Pierre Trudeau. And we saw how well
9: that worked out for the Conservatives.
2: And then, of course, that famous picture of Stanfield fumbling the ball, literally. That's right.
9: That's right. The only thing I remember about about Stanfield, I, I think he was the owner of Stanfield's underwear. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> but, you know uh, I spent some years out in uh, Saskatchewan. And when I went out there first, Grant DeBond was premium. I don't know if you know him. But Grant DeVine was a man who thought that his last name, DeVine, was his title, not his name. And once he was kicked out of office, I swore I would never, ever vote in an election again. He so turned me off from politics. And the Conservatives, even today, are with Brown. I don't know what's going on there. Uh, I don't know who's at fault. I'm not a conservative, I never was. Um, but I'm going to tell you, for people like me, I'm having a hilarious time with it. In the last couple of months, let's look look at what's after the happening. They knifed their former leader, um, they knifed their leader in Alberta, their basking of conservatism, Jason Kenny. uh, you know, and David Fromm, Who's a political analyst, and I, I do it like him. And he said that political parties will not allow people to select their premiers or prime ministers. They'll do it themselves. And that's what's happening. Now, I don't know what's going to happen with the Conservative Party. I, I figure, excuse me, I figure Pierre Pontiac will win. But, Linda, It's not about what you can do for your country. It's about power. We learned that from Donald Trump. The The whole game of politics is not to improve the upper Churchill or Muscat Falls. It's about power. Why do Brazil want to become premier? Not because he wants to do anything for me or you. Because Fury is premier and he wants it. It's political power. And that's what I'm out there learning. I'm sitting back now looking at the conservative leadership. And no matter who wins it, no matter who wins it, I would imagine
2: that in another six months they'll be at it again. So I'm sitting back and And arguably, uh, Brian, things are probably worse now than they were in the Diefenbaker era because we're talking about two, really, we're talking about two different parties. Uh, Just the Conservatives have filled that void left by the the PCs who were sort of a centrist party. Now you've got these different factions within the Conservatives because you've got PCs who really don't know where to fit except in the Conservative Party, and then you've got a much different kind of um, more right-leaning... Uh, faction within the conservative party that p c s have a hard time squaring with if you know what i'm saying so it there's the the faction is real and and those knives are real as you put it let's well, see um like the liberals that have a hard time with their
9: uh right wing left wing and ultra left wing and you've got the conservatives having problem that they are social conservatives. And there are fiscal conservatives and none of them are getting allowed. But it comes down to power. Uh, Donald Trump is showing us that. And people will do anything for power. So I always thought I'd phone in today and say to people like Mr. Mr. Brass, who comes on your show every now and then, you know, keep keep bringing out the noise, keep, keep going after each other. And if I were a conservative, I wouldn't be looking on the other side of the aisle saying, are my enemies there? I've been looking at my own caucus. Uh, so,
2: Brian,
10: uh, I
9: appreciate your call. Okay, and and best of luck to you. You're doing a really good job uh, as moderator. And I hope you heard a lot. Yeah, I think you're. you're the OSM is out there finding a, another voice to help with Patty. And you do a very, very good job.
2: Appreciate it, Brian. Thanks so much. Thank you, Linda. All right. Have a good weekend. All right. Bye-bye. And we'll be back right after this. And we are going to go now to the MHA for Exploits. And uh, Edwin, we see you on the line there. Just hang in there. We'll be with you as soon as we can. Uh, The MHA for Exploits, Pleman Forsey, hello.
11: Good morning, Linda. How are you?
2: I'm great. How are you?
11: Good. Good show going again this morning. Thank you then i'm uh, calling certainly regarding the uh, health care crisis here in central, uh, especially with the emergency divergence and closures, closures that keep happening here in central newfoundland it's, it's creating a great deal of problems of course. I know that central health, according to the, uh, one of the local news stations last night central health has uh, has said that uh, you know they they have minimal disruptions uh, in emer- in the emergency units. Uh, during the summer, they, uh, they're going to have minor gaps throughout the summer. But already, Linda, as of yesterday, you know, we keep hearing closures at the Kittywake Hospital, Harbour-Breton Hospital again, Green Bay, Aaron Buckins, uh, Fogo, you know, all closures again. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's more than just minor gaps.
2: And Central Health uh, has been struggling with recruitment and retention for some of these facilities and uh, the two major hospitals there uh, for some time.
11: Yeah, they have. I mean, so in regards to the uh, closures of emergency back in 2016, uh, with the uh, 24-hour emergency closure in, in Bobwa, that it's just gotten worse ever since. And uh, it seems like there's no no great action taken to regards to try to uh, recruit uh, uh, physicians, uh, doctors, uh, all kinds of staff to uh, to keep those uh, hospitals running. at at available at avail- staff, you know, and it's, uh, it just keeps getting worse and worse. And I know uh, only a couple of weeks ago they were diver- diverting patients from the, the Grand Falls Windsor Regional Hospital here out to out to James Payton and. Uh, and that's uh, that's a that's a mark on the system, no doubt. And you have got uh, people driving long distances because of those emergency systems uh, uh, being closed. Uh, Linda, it's it's creating frustration on uh, on uh, on patients. It's creating pr- frustrate- frustration on on uh, people transporting them. It's uh, it and, and a lot of stress on the doctors and staff at at the regional hospitals to try to keep that maintained and open and and working efficiently as it can, you know.
2: So what are the solutions? Uh, Do you see any hope at the end of this tunnel?
11: Well, I'm hoping to uh, Linda. We we, we wanted to see hope way before this. We wanted to see action way before this. But let me see, it's it's been seven years, and and the previous minister certainly has as, as, you know uh, has failed on, on, on doing the proper uh, proper recruitments. Uh, you know, when they had the four uh, four health authorities there, they had recruitment teams in place. They had uh, community advisory teams. Uh, there was no uh, no retention, uh, no recruitment on doctors at that point. I know now they've hired an ADM to to do recruitment recruitment but that's uh, that's going to take uh, further down the road for all that to happen so right now i'm to sit down the locums and uh, and i have heard that there there'll be used to some locums which is which is good because we need the system up and running as as efficiently as we can uh, so the locums locums are a good addition to it and and i know i've been asking for locums to use locums here in the central area for the past uh, past year and it seems like now they may be may be, uh, uh, retaining some of those locums to do some of the work which is which is well needed
2: for sure so uh, w- was there a problem with locums uh, through COVID I would imagine that was a bit more problematic
11: well, true COVID. I mean, say COVID changed, changed a lot of things, of course, but this problem was going on way before COVID. You know, like uh, we can use COVID for an excuse as much as we like because of the healthcare system, but we didn't have doctors. We didn't have, uh, you know, it didn't, they didn't lose, use the locums. It didn't lose, use nurse practitioners at that time. Uh, but like I told you, back in 2016, we lost a 24-hour emergency service here about, which is, this uh, this situation has been going on long before COVID, and uh, they needed, uh, they needed uh, retention uh, strategies in place they needed schooling uh, initiatives in place they needed to do a lot of work that wasn't done and now the new minister of course is going to have a lot of work on his hands to uh, to recoup uh, what needs to be done
2: so uh, we've got a change in minister the health authorities are now being consolidated do you think that will improve things at all
11: well regards to the health authorities being being cons- consolidated uh, you know, you still got your, you're still, still got your regional health, uh, health, uh, health authorities, health hospitals. You got one, you know. Uh, there's uh, Claremville. You know, outside of Eastern Health, you got, uh, you got Central Health, you have got Western Health, and you got Lab Grenfell. So they're either going to have to have, uh, I, I guess they'll be losing the CEOs, but they're still going to need uh, some sort of uh, manage, management team there in place to to direct to get directives from from uh, Eastern Health to, to see what's happening in Central and and the other areas. So uh, there's a lot of work. To- be done in that that part as well.
2: Pleeman Forsey, we'll have to leave it there. I was hoping to get to Edwin before the uh, news. uh, Thanks a lot. Thank you. All righty. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Uh, and we are going to go now to Edwin. Hello.
10: Good morning, Linda. How are you?
2: I'm good. How are you? I-
10: I'd like to talk about two ladies. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're involved in the uh, old school gener uh, old school intergenerational program. Okay. Claire and Elaine. The, uh, where I'm living, uh, Bishop's Garden Senior's Residence on Pennywell Road. Mm-hmm. They brought in a full, uh, full-scale full Newfoundland show. Oh, is that right? Yes. Full-scale fishing pots, uh, 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 Newfoundland music, such as Saltwater Joys and of Sheep. Uh, full-scale curtains on, on a black t- backdrop, and they let us smell
2: uh, codfish and Newfoundland savory. Well, that sounds lovely. What a what a wonderful distraction from everything. Yes, and
10: uh, uh, and they even had a they even had a uh, f- uh, real live kitchen party.
2: Oh, excellent! Did you dance?
10: Uh, I, well, I had to because uh, I got balance problems. But I swung arms with one of them. So you clapped along and tapped your toe. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I I I grabbed uh, uh, Claire's hand and uh, uh, swung my hands with her back and forth. Oh, how nice. It sounds lovely. Yes, and uh, 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 to end off, I'd I'd like to say we're looking forward to another show from them again. No pressure. (laughs) Uh, And uh, 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 I'd like to mention one thing to your listeners. Certainly. Uh, For all personal care homes, everyone has to wear a mask get checked in, and be free of COVID.
2: Yes, because that has to be still a a pretty serious concern, isn't it? Yes, yeah. Well, Edwin, I'm so happy that you shared this with us today and all the wonderful things that are happening down there at Bishop's Mm -hmm. Gardens. And Claire and Elaine, good job. Do
10: do, do, do you know what some radio doctors tell me? What's that? When I mention Bishop's Gardens, I'll soon be getting a commission.
2: (laughs) Because you're so good at promoting them. Yes. Well, that's fantastic. Edwin, I really appreciate your call. Have a great weekend, and let's see what Claire and Elaine have in store next time around. Okay, thank you. All right, thanks. Bye. Bye. What a wonderful call. We'll be back right after this.
0: Every Saturday is perfect for a night at the cabin. The cabin party with Brian O'Connell. Saturday night starting at 7 p.m. on VOCM.
2: Linda Swain in for Patty Daly, who is on vacation. And it's uh, Claire and Aaron at Bishop's Gate. Or, sorry, Bishop's Garden, I should say. Claire and Aaron doing a bang-up job there, according to Edwin, and I'm sure many more besides. Uh, So I just wanted to uh, pass that along. Also, I see that uh, the late John... John Efford, there will be a celebration of his life at the Port de Grave Pentecostal Tabernacle on Saturday, July 16th. Not this coming Saturday, but the one following. Uh, so um, I'm sure a lot of people will want to uh, come out uh, to pay their respects there and to uh, remember uh, one of this province's more colorful and engaged and engaging politicians. Uh, so the, uh, a celebration of life for John Efford to be held at the Port de Grave Pentecostal Tabernacle on Saturday, July 16th. He passed away earlier in the year, if you recall. Uh, we're going to go now to Lou. You're on the air. Hello. Hi, Lou. How are you? I'm great. How are you?
0: I could always be a lot better, Linda. i got, uh got oh, many health issues right now while well, I'm on oxygen constantly. And uh, so, I might be a little slow with you at times.
2: No, that's fine. You take your time.
0: And uh, no, I just I'm trying to get my health care looked after, but it's not going too well here on the island. So I was hoping to get away and and get things looked after a little better, because I'm waiting on tests and quite a few things. And uh, my. My living situation is not that great now. I'm by myself. I am I just turned 60. I worked my whole life, and I get my CPP, which is not very much for the amount of medications I take and all the equipment I have here, and then trying to keep up with all the household bills. I had Newfoundland Hydro come to my door, going to cut my power because I'm a little behind and I said well I'll work with you and you know pay you a little bit by little bit as I can do it but that wasn't good enough for him and I I explained to him I'm on oxygen constantly and they tell me there's nothing they can do I said, but that's my lifeline you pull my oxygen that's my life I just I, I can't go beyond that. I got a lot Are money.
2: you on any other supplements or, or, or benefits other than CPP?
0: Nothing whatsoever.
2: Oh my goodness gracious. And you don't qualify?
0: I called for social uh, I guess it's social assistance. Um, but I didn't qualify for that. And I'm not aware of you know, any programs out there, really. Um, I'm split up with my wife right now all over this COVID thing. She was working, and I, you know, I have to admit, I was the, the bad guy there, and usually you won't hear that. It's always two sides to a story, but, you know, I was always afraid of getting COVID, and uh, sure enough it it did come into my home and and uh, well i ended up sick with covid and i i thought i was going then it was unbelievable my lungs are are ridiculous now so we just couldn't live together we we get along but it's sad after so many years. And uh, now I'm so far behind in everything. I don't even know which way to turn. I have no idea whatsoever.
2: So you said so- uh, Newfoundland Hydro. Is it Hydro or Newfoundland Power?
0: Um, well, my letter says here. Vince. It says Newfoundland Power.
2: Newfoundland Power. Um, and do you know who your MHA is?
0: Yeah, it's Steve Crocker, and I haven't heard nothing from him.
2: You've tried his office then?
0: I have, and uh, I also was in touch with Lloyd Parrott's office, and uh, they were going to get in touch with Steve Crocker's office and get back to me, and uh, I still haven't heard anything. I sent a, a text or an email off to Premier Fury and Minister Osborne. I haven't heard anything from them. Like, I only have a couple of days to get this paid. I owe $1,281.
2: Oh, dear, that's that's a fair bit of money uh, and hard to come up with all of a sudden. And so uh, Newfoundland Power wasn't um, able to work with you on, you know, slowly paying that down?
0: No, I, I, I borrowed as much money as I could yesterday. I gave them $250. That's not good enough. And I said, I'll try and get you more in two weeks' time. And they said, no, we... We need more by uh, Tuesday, and I, it's impossible for me to get it. It's impossible.
2: So even um, even if this bill is paid off, I mean, you're still going to require some kind of additional financial assistance in order to keep up with your bills.
0: Oh, yeah, but my plan, I have to get rid of the house. There's no way I can hold on to the house Um I sustained quite a bit of damage to my house in the storm, the storms we've had and like it's taken all the siding off. I can't even get anyone to help me repair that. Uh, I'm, I'm 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 just lost here. I am totally lost. And I don't know where to turn and and like I say speaking to Hydro, I said you know, my life is in your hands. And, you know, who gives you the authority, you know, to say whether I live or not? And they—they they, all they could tell me is, uh, you know, that's our rules and there's nothing we can do to help you. And i like, I can't believe this. I said, so you either get a chance to kill me or... I can see why people commit suicide these days When you're left in a position like this
2: well, Lou, we, let's hope uh, just by raising this publicly, someone will get back and uh, and see what kind of programs or assistance you might qualify for, and uh, and work with Newfoundland Power to see if um, you know that can be avoided uh, having your power cut. Um, you sound like you're in a pretty serious uh, situation. There, we have your number. Dave Williams has your number. If anyone can offer any assistance for him, or if Mr. Crocker's office wants to call him back, and I know that you're. MHA was out of uh, the country for a short period of time. He was up in uh, Belgium, I think it was, yeah. uh, or or France. Um, so it, if uh, if anyone is listening to this now and can offer any assistance or direction, uh, we'd be willing to um, pass that along. Uh, Lou, all the best to you now, and and keep us I, up to date, will you?
0: M- I will. My friends have I've got a, a fundraiser they set up a while back for me, and I've even put this on uh Facebook yesterday about you know if there's any help for me, you know I worked my whole life i wasn't one of these that just uh routinely worked here and there i uh I worked all the time and I've worked myself into my bad health. I have no one else to blame for it, but uh that's it.
2: Well, Lou, let's let's hope you can get a, a bit of assistance or at least some direction there on where to go next. Uh, I appreciate your call, and like I say, if anybody's listening and can offer any direction or help, uh, we'd we'd be welcome to hear hear about it. All the best to you, and keep us up to date.
0: I will. Okay. And on Facebook, uh, if they look under Gord Fundy, they'll see that that's uh, where the fundraiser is, or uh, what I'm. I put on on Facebook but Gord Fundy is the name.
2: Gord not, Fundy?
0: Yeah. F- that was just an alias.
2: Oh uh, yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. Gord Fundy Gord. on Facebook and is there like a, a GoFundMe account or anything like that?
0: Uh, there's a Give, Send, Go yeah. and if anyone text me at all I can give them that link but it's a Give, Send, Go and uh, and they can find it there, I'm sure. But uh, if they need anything answered, just give me a line at uh, at Gord Fundy. They'll look. They'll see Gord Fundy and send it to me that way.
2: All right. All the best to you now, uh, Lou. I appreciate your call.
0: I thank you very much, Linda. Okay. Okay, bye-bye now.
2: Bye-bye. That's a tough uh, circumstance, isn't it? Uh, We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, um, we hope to hear from you. And we're back, and uh, off the top of the show, I was uh, asking people if they've encountered any problems. We've talked about recruitment and retention of workers in the healthcare system, but uh, it's a problem in other areas as well. And Here to talk a little bit about that is the acting executive director of the Employers Council of Newfoundland and Labrador, Jacqueline Sullivan. Hello. Hi, Linda. How are you this morning? I'm great. So is, it, uh, is the labor crunch still uh, an issue? Oh, it's a massive
12: issue. I would say it's probably the single biggest issue facing employers um, in all sectors right now. Uh, that on top of you know, rising costs and inflation has created a bit of a perfect storm uh, in terms of challenges that are being faced in the province currently.
2: I just literally uh, came across this on my phone. It just came in. The, the city of St. John's is um, reducing hours at the uh, Muse Center because they uh, have staffing issues. They're working on getting a new lifeguard as soon as possible. So that's uh, affecting services to the public. And mm-hmm. so what are, you, what are employers seeing? Um, yeah
12: everyone's, everyone's sort of saying the same thing it's affecting all sectors I mean I think the service sector is where we see it most particularly hard hit and I think that's the, that's the sector that impacts um, consumers the most so we, we visibly see it right um, you know, but we're hearing it in, in, in every industry um, you know we are in a, a circumstance right now I think where you know there's just a number of factors coming together it's not one factor that's causing this labor shortage it's just a, a number of challenging factors are coming together uh, to make it challenging to find people everywhere uh, and you're seeing it impact Acting, um, you know, re- um, restaurants particularly, um, any service sector occupation, you're seeing it in, in government, uh, you're seeing it in uh, high skilled occupations, it really is an across the board um, epidemic right now.
2: And it's, it's so strange. I keep hearing from uh, different employers who have put, um, you know, uh, calls for applications and, you know, the, the ones that they get, they're few and far between. It's really quite extraordinary. So what are some of these challenging factors? Because I think during COVID, you know, the, the easy uh, uh, answer for a lot of people was, oh, well, it's the SERB. But it's a lot more complicated than that. So what are some of these challenging factors?
12: Yeah, it is a lot more complicated. I think there's a number of factors coming together, like I said. So demographics is one. I mean, I remember in 2010 going to a government press conference where they had a report called Labor Market 2020, and they said 2020 was going to be the year that we were going to hit, you know, the peak of our demographic challenges in Newfoundland and Labrador. We've hit that wall, and it happened during the pandemic. So, you know, there's a lot of retirements happening. Um, we haven't had um, immigration for a couple of years because of the pandemic. Um, so the, there's a backlog of, of applications. There's a backlog of of uh, you know, people haven't come to the country or the province in the last couple of years that would have otherwise helped grow our population. Um, so we, we have a shortage of young people to, to replace um, those retirements or, or work in sectors that young people uh, typically would work in, like the restaurant sector. Um, there's also the impacts from the pandemic. So because restaurants, for example, were closed um, during, you know, the, the high alert levels, um, you know, maybe people moved from from working in the restaurant sector to retail. Um, so there's just less people available to work in, in those particular sectors there was also um like you mentioned the the availability of the of the social programs like CERB. eis continued to be easily accessible or more easily accessible i should say um i don't think that's the the number one cause i think it's a variety of things um but there are some disincentives in in those systems um that that don't necessarily create um attachment to the labor market there's issues with childcare you know there's there's issues with people being sick and and having to isolate because of covid you know so you're seeing a lot of shortages that are temporary because of that um, you know, but but there's a number of factors, I guess, that are all happening at, at the same time, um, coming together to create you know such a challenging situation.
2: There's been a lot of talk as well about a, a living wage, but many employers are paying well over minimum wage, um, and still having difficulties. Yeah, it's not that simple. I think people think that it's,
12: it's that simple. You know, well, if you just pay more, people will work. There are there are people in the restaurant industry, people in, in you know, fast food franchises that are paying, you know, $25 an hour and still not able to get anyone to show up. Um, it's not about, it's not as simple as pay more, people will work. It's, it's an availability issue. It's a supply and demand issue. Um, and there are reasons, I think. I think part of it is, you know, some of our social systems, like employment insurance, as an example, we're, we're in a consultation right now where they're looking at modernizing uh, the employment insurance system. System. And one of the big questions we have to ask is why do we have such a disconnect in a province where we have such high unemployment rates yet still can't find people to work? So there's, you know, there needs to be more focus on facilitation of um, in of getting people who are um, not working, you know, available and, and attached to the labor market and able to work in the jobs that are available, right? There's, there's, There needs to be more done, I think, at, at the government level in these programs to create that facilitation and certainly remove any disincentives. Um, but the other big piece, I guess, as a solution is is immigration, and I think our province has done a very good job um, increasing the support and and resources that are available for immigration, but at the federal government level, um, there's still a lack of um, support and resource, particularly in Atlantic Canada, um, to process claims, and it's the federal government who processes immigration um, applications, so there's a huge backlog. Um, so, you know, we need to grow our population. Uh, we need the federal government to support us in their ability to do that. Um, and that means, you know, getting through those, those applications faster so that we can get people in to fill vacancies. Um, and, you know, we're going to be working with the federal government um, to try to to try to make that happen and, and get more resources and supports there because that is really, you know, the only solution to grow our population is really going to be increasing those immigration numbers.
2: Right. And as you say, the province has uh, done its, uh, or is doing a much better job at uh, trying to attract newcomers. But So what is this hold up with the federal government side of things then?
12: So um, there's a backlog in terms of, so the the province, you know, gets, gets, the applications, but it's the federal government who has to process them and determine, you know, is this person eligible, right? So they're the backstop. They're the ones who accept the rules, who say, um, you know, you, you are or, not or are not allowed to, to enter uh, the country. And there's there's been a backlog in processing um, those applications, I guess, due to COVID. They had to reassign people to, to some other areas in terms of getting supports out, that kind of thing. Um, and and it, there seems to be a, a backlog in, in getting those applications back up to normal processing time um, and, and moving them through. Um, there's also you know in, in Atlanta Canada there are two um, officers that uh, for the federal government for, for the whole um, department. Um, so there's not a lot of support available uh, uh, on the federal side in terms of uh, helping assist um, employers, um, potential immigrants you know even the, the provincial government um, so you know getting more resources. I know Minister O'regan is, is in town right now. Uh, he's been working with us a little bit we've been chatting with him we're ho- hoping to get his support and trying to really push that issue over the next little while um, to look at you know how can we, how can we get the federal government to step up and ensure we're able to, to you know, meet the targets that the, uh, that the province has put in place?
2: And you're absolutely right, because I know of some situations where uh, workers who were uh, actively working full time jobs here in Newfoundland and Labrador and had put in their paperwork well ahead of time to to have their uh, work visas uh, extended only to meet the deadline and have to leave. Mm-hmm. Just imagine. Yeah. now, and, that, and you'd have to be pretty darn dedicated to want to come back after that.
12: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, we hear those kinds of stories all the time, unfortunately, and we hear a lot of stories from employers um, who have people, you know, available, um, ready to come, or people's family members, you know, um, having difficulty getting their family members in. And if you want to keep immigrants here, you know, you you have to get, you know, build community, right? You have to, to allow um, their their family members to come and, and, and put down roots, right? Um, so there's there's a lot of, you know, I think, disincentives in some of these programs. It, you know, they're designed um, in fairness to the federal government, you know, those programs are designed to ensure that there's enough uh, you know that they're that they're checking all the boxes and and um, you know ensuring that people who are coming in are, are not you know taking jobs away from from people who uh, Canadians who who want them or that they meet all the requirements to be able to to arrive but I think when you're in a situation like we are now um, when we have you know particularly in Atlantic Canada I think we're we're very different than you know a big city like Toronto for example where we have a huge population to pull from and, and we' you know they're, they're they have people beating down their doors to come in right uh, we're on the other side of the spectrum where we're but we really need to attract people. We really need to, um, you know, be working harder to facilitate entry into our province and, and permanent residency into our province. So we need a different approach in, in Atlantic Canada. And I think federal government needs to, to kind of work to realize that.
2: Jacqueline Sullivan, uh, Acting Executive Director, Employers Council of Newfoundland and Labrador. really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank you. All Bye-bye. And we're overdue for the news. Sorry about that, Brian. Coming up right now.
0: You're busy, but you'll never be uninformed. Get up to date on the way home. The Drive on your VOCM.
2: And we're back. And did you hear that story, man? Uh, Parks Canada is taking this stuff very seriously. They issued a warning earlier this year, saying that they're going to crack down on people feeding animals. And uh, uh, two foxes killed a, a fox and one of her kits killed in Grosmore National Park. And a charge has been laid because the animals are, are I suppose, attracted to tra- high traffic areas. People throwing food out the window or whatever the case may be, a few fries or some bread or whatever. The animals Animals are attracted to that and then it becomes a problem for them because they're coming to see a vehicle and the vehicle is passing through and so somebody has been uh, charged $25,000 is the maximum fine in uh, f- uh, national parks and um, places like Signal Hill and um, just this spring uh, headed up there for an evening just looking around and uh, there were foxes up there being fed in the parking lot. Uh, I've seen them in many places in and around uh, Newfoundland and Labrador. They're beautiful, beautiful creatures. We don't want to see them killed. I know uh, it's hard to change uh, human behavior sometimes, but I can guarantee you a $25,000 fine can change your, <laughs> your behavior. Uh, so, yeah, Parks Canada taking this very seriously. We're going to go now to uh, the caller on line one. Hello. Hi, how are you today? I'm good. Thank you so
13: much for allowing me to come on this morning. Uh, I wanted to share some news about the Ronald McDonald House charitable event that's happening on Sunday in Paradise okay, what's that all about? It is uh a it's called a cane's Turf tastic Fundraiser. That's it's a mouthful. <laughs> a month, I know well, it's turf tastic because it's inside on turf. A little bit of outside because we're going to have gorgeous weather. But at the Premier Sports Academy on 89 Bremigen's Boulevard, just off McNamara Drive, uh, there'll be games, dunk tank, 50-50 draw, silent auction, free bouncy castle for the children, free face painting, um, lots of music and lots of games. And we're trying to get the word out. So the more people that come the more benefit it is for, the, for this community, for the Ronald McDonald House, and the wonderful things that they do to allow
2: families to be together. All right. I was so caught up in the name. <laughs> you'll, have me, you'll have to give me the details on when and where again. Okay. So it is Sunday, this coming Sunday, from
13: 1 to 5 at 89 Bremegins Boulevard in Paradise, it's at the Premier Sports Academy indoor training facility. It's, and there'll be indoor and outdoor activities. And that's just off McNamara
2: Drive in Paradise. And so, is, one to five. is there a charge to get in and participate in the activities, or is uh, it a free will yeah. offering? Well, the
13: charge is $10 a person or $20 a family. However, for that $10, we're giving you uh, $20 worth of, uh, $10 worth of tickets back. You can buy hot dogs or hamburgers with that you can the bouncy castle is free you don't need tickets for that but if you wanted to dunk your favorite politician or sports person then that would be a five dollars for three balls so you oh, can tell me your your who you're
2: dunking you have to tell me who you're dunking. oh my
13: gosh let me see so far well there's been a few names out that are trying to finalize so i really don't want to i don't want to share that but let me just are they worthy of dunking Uh, Well, you know what? Christine Morgan, who runs the Ronald McDonald House, she's definitely worthy of dunking. And every time she uh, happens to go down premier sports academy is uh is doubling their uh the contribution to for extra money um noah anderson who's the uh manager um or director at uh, premier sports he's going to be in paul Din, i know everybody knows paul Din, so he's agreed to come and and do a few dips in the water for us and uh todd powell also and we're just waiting on confirmation for a few more However, if they hear this and would like to come and help with this cause and go in for a few dunks, we'd be more than happy. So uh, So get your pitching arm warmed up. Oh, yes. And it's a baseball training academy. So they have prepared
2: these little kids to dunk as many people who'd like to get in. (laughs) Oh, that's great. Uh, Well, I really appreciate your call. Uh, So that is uh, a turf something or other <laughs> in paradise. Turf-tastic fund fund-raiser. fund fund-raiser. Fund-raiser. I, I got it. It's fun. Um, so that's this Sunday at the Premier Sports Academy in Paradise, Bremigan's Boulevard, just off McNamara Drive there, 1 to 5 p.m. Be there. Be square. Have your baseballs ready. <laughs> Awesome.
13: Thank you. And there be competitions everything. Thank you so much. And we'd love to see as many as we can. We want to make this a fun day and we want to make sure we give back to Ronald McDonald House for their amazing work they do for Newfoundland and Labradorians.
2: Fabulous. All the best. Thanks. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And we're going to go now to Sarah, who's been waiting ever so patiently. Hi, Sarah. Hi. How are you today? Good. You have some unfortunate news to share. Uh, yes,
14: so we live on Diamond Marsh Drive, uh, just off Ruby Line, and two nights ago, uh, the morning actually of July 7th, uh, at about 5 in the morning to 10 after 5 in the morning, we had a truck come into our neighbourhood and steal from our fence backyard our red and white Yamaha Waverunner jet ski and the trailer it was sitting on, uh, both were stolen from our backyard that yesterday morning. And we do have video surveillance uh, from a couple of different neighbors of the truck that stole it. Uh, And we are hoping to get the public's help to find the jet ski and hopefully the person that stole it so that we can either get it back and or get some help for some justice, that it was stolen.
2: Imagine the brass neck on them uh, to pull in and, and just take off like that, 5 to 5, 10 in the morning on July the 7th. Yes, that's exactly what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> so um, obviously it's somebody who must have seen it there or knew it was there. Correct. I mean, you got to wake up pretty early in the morning and say, I'm going to go down and get that jet ski now. Imagine. It it had to have been planned for sure. Um,
14: the hour was very, you know, nobody's nobody's up, nobody's around.
2: I so. it, I, I don't know. Uh, you know, hard-earned money. You you work hard all your life. You you know, decide you're going to spend some of that hard-earned cash on something that you're going to enjoy, and somebody else says, "Eh, I'm going to get that." Yeah, and it had been locked up tight until the weekend previous because
14: we were getting it out, getting it ready to go, and, and now it's gone. So <laughs> I'm really, really hoping to get it back. It's, it's not hard to, uh, I mean.
2: What can you tell us about the pickup?
14: Uh, the pickup is a single cab um it has a dent actually on the right hand side uh it looks to be either white or silver Uh, and i'm going to be posting a video of that up on the twitter account for you guys
2: Alrighty, and are rnc aware
14: yes they are they have not come out to take
2: our statement yet, but there is a file number and we are in the process of having that all taken care of. Alrighty, And uh, I understand that uh, VOCM Open Line has also put a tweet out. Is that correct, Dave? Is it the VOCM Open Line account? Okay. All right. VOCM account with Open Line is tagged on that. So uh, hopefully now you get some answers and your jet ski back in the trailer.
14: I would absolutely love that. I was looking forward to using it this summer. And if we can get it back, that would be awesome.
2: Sarah, all the best. Uh, Keep us up to date, will you? Absolutely. Thank you so much. Have a great day. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. How infuriating, doesn't it? Oh, uh, I had a co-worker, and he used to get so angry whenever he found out about like things like that, thefts and property damage. I mean, you know, it's just such a senseless, useless crime, and it really affects the victim in a profound kind of way. No one got hurt, but, oh, that feeling of anger, frustration... Um, and violation that people have when these types of things happen. Just imagine now someone getting up five o'clock in the morning, go down and get that jet ski. Oh, anyway, I'll leave it there. Uh, we'll be back right after this. And we're back into the final few minutes of the show. We're going to go now to Gus Echegere. Hello, Gus.
1: Yeah, hi, um, hi Linda. You're a busy woman. Yeah. Um, I've been waiting for quite a long time. I wanted to call and talk about the uh, COD moratorium, actually. And um, the fact that, uh, uh, as most everybody knows, uh, the moratorium has been in place now for 30 years. And uh, in addition to the fact that the government of Canada and DFO have done nothing whatsoever to rebuild and restore the fishery they uh, destroyed, a lot of people don't realize that a part of the COD moratorium uh, and the COD that applies is—migrates uh, 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 over the 200-mile line. And uh, ever since the uh, 1992, as they have for 50 years before that, foreigners are, are um, fishing uh, constantly uh, on the same moratorium fish uh, that uh, is preventing Newfoundlanders from fishing and any hope whatever in my view of uh, any recovery of the resource
2: well the mantra as you recall uh gus you more than many uh was always you know the nose and tail of the grand banks and uh extending that 200 mile limit to include the nose and tail of the grand banks because of course the fish are moving all over that uh, very yes. abundant area so uh, why hasn't that ever come to fruition, despite well, all have, of the talk about it? Uh,
1: uh, well, despite the commitment by the government of Canada to do it, they didn't do it. And uh, instead, they chose to protect fully the maritimes and Quebec fisheries when they left Newfoundland hanging. And that's why the uh, more, the moratorium is in the... And, of course, the con- continuation of, of the FO mismanagement also reflects on what has happened uh, in the Gulf of St Lawrence in the last couple of days and that is the closure of that fishery which for historically produced 100,000 tons of cod and the same thing on the uh, on the south coast 3P's burgio bank in that area is now down to a quota of something in the order of of uh, 1,300 tons when it traditionally had produced 100,000 tons over the years and so on, but the fact of the matter is that let's go back to this moratorium fishery that's um, uh, outside 200 miles. The foreigners are out there increasing their pressure uh, every day, every week, uh, and every month on the moratorium uh, cod. That. Uh, As I say, it's now 30 years since the the, uh, 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 moratorium was declared. But in addition to that, in recent weeks—and, of course, this is not receiving much publicity, but the fact is that these foreign uh, governments—Germany, Poland, uh, Portugal, Spain, uh, the Faroese, and the Danes, and others— are increasing their pressure out here on the nose and tail of the Grand Banks and on this moratorium con. And to the extent now they, they're they applying more and more pressure, I don't know whether it's an effort to gain uh, um, uh, ownership of it or a fish that's outside 200 miles or not, but it's happening. And here we are today sitting in St. John's, a a, a a a trawler supply vessel from Spain that is over here assisting and aiding uh, their fleet that's uh, just outside two hundred miles. And here it is in St. John's being uh, refueled, uh, reprovisioned and uh, welcomed into the uh, the uh, the, uh, the port uh, and at the same time, What we're doing is aiding and abetting their overfishing and their continuing destruction of the resource. Three weeks ago, the Germans had a similar vessel over here to uh, assist and and aid their vessels fishing over here. The Portuguese the same, the Danes and the Faroese, and so on. And they, they continued fishing outside here, in addition to the seal po- uh, problem, the overfishing by these uh, um, uh, foreign nations is not even being, uh, you know, uh, recognized by the government of Canada. Surely the car, that with uh, 80,000 people having to leave this province with the moratorium and then 30,000 people having lost their jobs— Surely, to cut somewhere there has to be leadership to step forward and try and get this thing rectified. Look, Linda, there are more lies and deceit that's woven into the management of our fisheries by DFO, and I can say much better for the for the province of Newfoundland over the last 55, 60 years that I've been involved. I've only seen two premiers who showed any interest, whatever, in our fishery. Yesterday and day before, the Premier of our province uh, jumped up and is reacting to the pressure that is being brought to bear by the people of Newfoundland on the health situation. And rightly so. And Premier, I know you're not listening, but if you have somebody listening, please, for God's sake, appoint a Department of Fisheries. Separated from forestry and agriculture, appoint an experienced uh, experienced fishing person and, if necessary, a, 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 a additional people to aid him uh, in dealing with the problems that we're facing today. You can't deal with them. You're not a, a fishery man. But for goodness sake, we need help here. And we're heading for disaster.
2: Gus, we'll have to leave it there because we have a couple other callers and I was hoping to poke them in before the top of the hour. But
1: hey I- Linda, this is a damn serious situation. An analyst, the premier of this province, and some leadership said forward, the people who are involved in the fishery today in Newfoundland are going to find themselves operating in Nova Scotia or in the Maritimes or in Quebec before they're much older. So somebody had better wake up.
2: All right, uh, Gus, thank you. All right, bye-bye. And we're going to go now to, uh, quickly, before the top of the hour, Trudy Stuckless in Botwood, Botwood Mural Arts Society, unveiling a brand-new mural. We talked about it yesterday, and uh, we had a little news story about it in the news today. But, Trudy, for anyone who might have missed it, you've got this uh, special unveiling tomorrow.
15: Yes, that's right. I just wanted to uh, try and fit that in on your program today. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, Saturday, that is, at uh, at 3 o'clock, down at the mural site which is uh, down at 21 lighthouse road and uh, we're going to be unveiling at three and then having a little reception um at the heritage center tomorrow and that's right after the ceremony and this is a beautiful rain.
2: mural it's yeah. it's absolutely gorgeous so take it in
15: yes it is gorgeous it's a world oceans day mural celebrating our oceans and funded by the Department of uh, the federal department of fisheries and oceans and uh, through the Newfoundland World Ocean Day Committee, Newfoundland Labrador. So we're very pleased that they recognized that this was a good place to put a creative project for them and uh, happy to have partnership with them. And uh, tomorrow evening uh, at 8 o'clock, we're having a celebratory concert by Ian Foster and Nancy Hines at the Trinity United Church. Trinity uh, United has a new mural themselves, an indoor one, that they commissioned. And the same artist, Craig Gowdy, painted our New World Ocean Day okay. mural and
2: the United Church one. So, And we're completely Thank out of time. time. Trudy, Botwood okay. is the place to be. Let people head Thank out there you. tomorrow. Thanks. Okay, thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And uh, we're out of time. Uh, have a great weekend, everyone. A long weekend for some uh, provincial government workers in particular. It's a holiday on Monday. So do enjoy that. And uh, we'll be back on Monday. Thanks for listening, everyone.